Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective. My name's Liam Debsey and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt. Hello. And Paul. Howdy, Spotlighters. And we are also joined by a returning guest, uh, someone who's been with us a couple of times before, Dan Thomas. How are you, sir? Hello, everyone. It's good to be back. Lots of change since I was last here. Two more episodes of Picard for a start. Not episodes, seasons of Picard. <laughs> they haven't met any more Police Academy things, so that's a fucking <laughs> no. relief. But you finally watched Police Academy 6 and 7. Yeah, I watched all the fucking <laughs> <laughs> After assignment on Miami Beach, you finally were like, oh my God, I've got, I've got I remember, to finish yeah, this franchise. Start, uh, it's I remember thinking it was. It's not a classic. I remember thinking it was good, and then I... <laughs> Hit, apparently got to my early 40s and went hang on this is shite and then because of other <laughs> podcasts they go oh just for completers we're going to watch the others and it's the most miserable experience I've ever had <laughs> so wait, wait a sec wait a sec wait a sec because we, we agreed surely on the last podcast the first two are pure cinema and then it goes down well it's pure cinema in the sense that light and sound was committed yeah. to celluloid and audio tape they all are pure cinema in that way <laughs> and, but if you're talking about yeah, I think you're trying to make a qualitative judgement there and they're, yes they're less shite Yes, yeah, less shite is a double yeah, way to describe it. Technically <laughs> films. I mean, nothing sums up more, Liam, than when you were like, right, Matt, you and me are going to watch them all before we do the previous podcast. Still did one, and then we're like, yeah, that'll do, won't it? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. This, <laughs> this, 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 this was you, this. this was you, Matt. I was it's true. Well, hey, we could get back series. on number two next time I'm Maybe down. not Mission to Moscow, but literally, we did that first one. I thought, literally, I thought Matt would be like, after watching the first one, be, we're not going to even go back. You could, yes. <laughs> Straight we'll down the old. Uh, yeah. tonight. At <laughs> least the Gutenberg quadrilogy we're watching tonight, but no, it did the not Gutenberg happen. The Gutenberg quadrilogy. You are putting too much into this. <laughs> right? It's not a quadrilogy if he didn't come back because they didn't pay him enough, right? That's not like, oh, we had an arc for fucking Mahoney. <laughs> Look, Mahoney is the Dom Toretto of the police economy franchise. Yeah, yeah. It, a, but it's not about family. It's about getting paid, right? Yeah, That's it's not the about difference. family. It's about academy. Police academy. That's the tagline for next yeah, year. If it was family, he would have been in five, six, and seven, but he wasn't. He was going, you know where the money is? Hanging out with Tom Selleck and Ted Danson. That's where he and went. And a robot. Is and that a, what and a robot. Oh yeah, short circuit. Yeah, of course. I forgot who's in short circuit. Wow. God, what what a guy. What a guy. Two eighties franchise classics yeah. under yeah. his belt. So he's more of the Dwayne Johnson of abandoning the saga and will eventually come back in a Police Academy spin-off. Yeah, I mean, Colon if we Mahoney. can get Police Academy 8 with post-credits with Return Mahoney, <laughs> I am in, 100%. But we've already done the podcast of Police Academy. So, Dan, for people who haven't heard the other episodes uh, you're on or don't know your work as well, who are you and what do you do? What a good question. Who is Dan Thomas? I used to be a stand-up, and I still am. Last time I talked to you, I was pretty much a stand-up. It was in COVID, so I wasn't even that. Since then, I've accidentally become a radio and TV producer specialising in comedy, and then, but I did, I'm currently doing a documentary about dyspraxia. So a little bit of everything, but I still do stand-up, and I still do a little bit of acting and writing, and basically, I just... I'll be honest, I make knob jokes on other people's podcasts. <laughs> that's you do. really my calling. The rest is what I do for a job. My calling, if that's what you're asking, is dick jokes 
while talking about William Shatner. Well, you're actually doing a lot of the knob jokes uh, side of things at the moment because I've been very much enjoying your appearances on Smurfsville covering the Carry On films, which yeah. you now I'm, seem yeah. to be determined to do every single one. And if you thought I'm not, doing like, seven Police like... Academy films would be a chore, <laughs> fucking hell. No, I mean, you're right. You're right. <laughs> seven Police Academy films is better than 13. One carry on film. <laughs> 31. Oh, yeah. yeah well, and, and that 31st yeah. is Carry On Columbus as well. That 31st so is Carry On Columbus, <laughs> which is even Larry Miller in a cameo as a Native American can't make that good. <laughs> uh, uh, the MCU has only recently topped the Carry On numbering. Uh, I only oh, recently in it. The Carry On cinematic universe is mighty. But thus far, you've done you've done four, haven't you've you? You've done that's four, far. yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Right. Are you going to do more? Yeah, well, we can do all the. Uh, but we like. Paul Litchfield was like, God, I can't believe we've done three of these now. We haven't. We've done four. I don't know which one you've forgotten, but you pretend to like him and you can't even remember that you've seen one of them. Right? <laughs> He's had Shire Ray's carry on Emmanuel from his memory, oh, that's why. Right. Yeah, that is the one he's forgotten as well. But I, I'd never seen that one before. And, oh, you know what? I'm not going back into this. I've just finished... I've been doing bi-weekly with my therapist since we started doing these carry-on films uh, I can't afford this <laughs> it's a hard thing to get into like you're doing you're doing what uh, don't ask <laughs> I mean it's very good fun to listen to I'm halfway through the carry-on camping episode that you did at the moment which was the first carry-on film I saw literally and yet you uh, bowed I, on <laughs> I mean I haven't I haven't done all of them I haven't done all but I have done a lot I've done a surprising amount there was less to watch on TV when I was growing up than there is now hang um, on but you had other options you could have gone out to play you could have put bleach in your eyes you had options of things to do before you get to let's watch the carry on I mean yeah a lot of them are very very bad but I, I do have a I do have fondness for them. I remember seeing Carry On Camping and being like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" When I was like uh, <laughs> nine or so, <laughs> I love them because everyone says, yeah. "Yeah, I know they're not very good, but I have a fondness for them." This is a series of thirty-one <laughs> films that people talk about like a stray cat they see wandering <laughs> the street with one leg and some sort of truncated anus. That you go, "Oh, you know what? You wouldn't want to take him home because he doesn't look healthy." But I'm fond of him. I'm fond of that little three-legged dying cat in the street. <laughs> That's how people talk about carry-on films. Matt and Paul, have you ever seen any carry-on films? Either never, of never. It's an entirety. Like, I, I mean, they're just impossible to avoid. You know, <laughs> try as you might. Uh, yeah, IT, ITV just like own the rights to them. They just <laughs> yes, them on yeah. all the time, and they, they're all on the ITVX hub now. Oh wow! Most, most of them are. Yeah. <laughs> Which Which more reasons to try. Paid, paid good money for my for, for my trial. Well, not trial. Like uh, I wanted to watch a few things, and uh, not that wasn't one of them. He's <laughs> binged them all in the free trial period. Yeah. Now I don't think I've seen any, but I do remember that I lived around the corner from Sid James's old house in Ealing. What? Um, when I moved up to London, first to Ealing, I remember because it was just a you know quite a nondescript main road near where I lived, and it had a blue plaque on. So it's one of the closest to home blue plaques I saw, and I was like, "What is this?" And it's like, "Yeah, Sid James's old house." So oh, that's my wow. carry-on connection. But um, well, see, I do love Sid James. I mean, I think the reason I got into the carry-ons is because they had Sid James, Kenneth Williams, and Hattie Jakes. 
in them who were all regular cast members of Hancock's Half Hour, which is like my favourite like comedy series of like all time, which is far, far more kind of lofty than anything on Carry On. But I just love those actors. So like I enjoy just seeing them in it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like, you know. But they uh they're slight, slightly slightly dated now. Mm. Only you know, only slightly I'd say. Is, is and, this uh, series of uh, I think the reviews by the end of the decade they were made. <laughs> <laughs> is the series of reviews being done in chronological order? Oh or fuck not. Whatever no. mood we're in. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm never in the mood for it. I think I may have said Karen the Manual because I hadn't seen it. I thought, let's just get it out the way. We're not on a mission yet. Well, I think yeah. they are. There's no interconnected continuity, right? Karen on the Camera. Karen on the Camera is the only one I've defended, right? Yeah, because I've defended it. Let's not go mad, right? Because <laughs> the thing is, at the end of the day, it's, it literally is just Peter Butterworth looking at tits and sweating, right? That's not... <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring it down the brass tacks, yeah. Plus a lot of blackface in Carol Not the Kaifa, unfortunately. Or brownface, as it were. Yeah, and, brownface. Uh, but even then, it's not... I mean, this is not defending brownface, but it's like, they basically go with a light tan because they're like, you know, even they knew this could prove racist in a couple of days. So let's not... We'll <laughs> just not give Roy Castle a sort of a golden tan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do think Carrie Not the Kaifa, from my memory, is the best carry on film in terms of actual quality but I don't know if I saw it again I know but that's like saying I think Ebola is my favourite <laughs> viral yeah. disease I, I, I yeah, used I to like West Nile virus but I've gone off it you know. <laughs> oh dear well apart from carry on <laughs> apart from watching carry on films what have you been doing with your time since we last spoke to you because it sounded like you've been up to some exciting filming Filming's not exciting, that's the thing I've found. But yes, we'll be filming. I prefer the paperwork you do afterwards, personally. Um, yeah, this year's been insane. We, we've uh, we've just done a short film for BBC Wales, but it is on iPlayer called Lady Bigfoot, which is a short film that, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll do more. You know. uh, and then, what else? I mean, I know I've been working, but it's it's a weird thing. It just drops out your head. And currently, that's what I've been doing. I should notice, because I was literally in the studio today, we are doing a series called Golden Cobra, which is our first animated series that we're doing. We did a pilot about 18 months ago, and so we're working on the series now, which is a, a late, very dirty series set in a Indian takeaway in Ebbuvale in the Welsh Valleys. So this week we've been in the studio doing the voice work for that, and that'll be out in probably a year, because some poor bugger's got to draw it now. <laughs> wow, okay, cool. And just to check, as we've just been speaking about Carol Up the Kyber, you're not doing any of the Indian voices, are you? <laughs> Comedy pause, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not doing, I think, I'm not, I'm just producing that. I think I can't, in the studio yesterday, I had to do, there's like a crowd scene and they just brought everyone from the studio in to yeah, do some yeah, like yeah. crowd voices. I, I'm hoping now you've said that that I don't get drawn as a as an ethnic minority because we will get in trouble. <laughs> well, that sounds really really cool. Like, uh, and yeah, definitely everyone check out a new short film on iPlayer. I'll put a link in the description. That sounds very very good. And um, also want to check since we last had you on to talk about actual Star Trek because that was the first time you were on talking about Star Trek Picard season one. Then you came on to talk about Police Academy. Have you watched any more actual Star Trek apart from the episode we're going to be talking about today? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've literally just caught up on Picard in the last month. I hadn't seen season two. Did not like season two particularly. It was fine. Uh, and then season three, 
didn't like it initially because for something for some reason I feel this about Picard. Every one of them is a five episode series. Mm-hmm. That they've gone, but we need more money for all of these sets. Well, you have to make ten then, but we've only got five episodes of story. Well, tough shit. Speed <laughs> slower. And about um, by the end of Picard season three. That last two episodes where they're back on the... I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about the see where they get back on the uh, back on the Enterprise D. That, and I had just seen Indiana Jones 5. And I was like, that's the way they should have done it. It's reverence and fondness for the past and not being smug about it. Because I fucking hated Indiana Jones 5. Wow. Like, oh, God. Because he was more upsetting than 4. I think it's a better film than 4. Yeah. 4 annoyed me. But 5 made me so sad on an atomic level. Um, and then to watch Picard and see them do that last hurrah adventure for a for a hero from my childhood, and it was just they got the tone so right. As bored as I was the first four or five episodes of season three, by the end I was like, I'm here. I would probably watch this again. In fact, and it made me retroactively more angry uh, about Indiana Jones five. And isn't it? We even said like Picard season three feels like the first bit of New Trek really that we're like, yeah, we'll we'll we watch that again. I watch that again. Yeah, 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 yeah. After I watched it, I was basically eating everything I could about like that show afterwards. You know, interviews with the showrunner, how it all got put together, how do they make the deal for all the cast? Yeah, astonishing stuff. I'm really, really glad you actually went back and watched those, Dan, after mm. I didn't give up after season one. In yeah. uh, retrospect of that, I, uh, I've given up on Discovery. I'll tell you right now. I did two series, Man and Boy, and I was like, I, don't, I hate this. Oh, every two best seasons. At the oh end of well, the shoot well. me in the face! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my sister is telling me to kill. Yeah, I've watched about ten minutes of Strange Worlds. Strange Worlds. Yeah. If you had told me when I was like seven, at the apex of my interest in Star Trek, that there would be like nineteen current Star Trek seasons, <laughs> and I was like, and I'm not that fast. I would have punched myself in the face. Uh, but I'm like, I haven't got time for this. And it seems to have gone... Like, yeah, Discovery wound me up and it made me lose faith a little bit. And then the first half of every season of Picard has made me lose faith. And they pull it back a little bit. And even in Series 2, I was like, I appreciate moments. Like, I paused it and checked when they had that punk on the bus. I was like, that's my favourite film they're referencing there. Favourite Star Trek film, just to be clear. Um, <laughs> Carry On Constable is my favourite film. Citizen Kane, move on. Star Trek yeah. 4 Voyage Home is coming down now, that's it. So I even appreciated bits and pieces at the back end of the second series. But, I, but I'm like, oh, I don't think they know how to make Star Trek anymore. So Strangely Worlds, I think we'd all recommend. Like, we'd okay. all recommend giving that a proper go. Especially as... Perfect follow-up to this episode that we're going to be covering today, Arena, for oh, such the original series, as there are Gorn in Strangely World. So definitely, they play a big part. Uh, but today, we are going to be discussing Arena, Season 1, Episode 18 of Star Trek, the original series. Captain's log, stardate 3045.6. The Enterprise has responded to a call from Zestus 3. On landing, we have discovered that the outpost has been destroyed. How can you explain a massacre like that? You must make certain that the alien vessel never reaches its home base. I intend to. Firing phases, Captain. Captain. 
if I could help him, I would. I cannot. We destroyed invaders, as I shall destroy you. Now, Dan, this is a thread of the podcast we do, where we talk about a Pacific episode from Star Trek history, and this is one that you picked mm. out to do, and I'm interested as to why you decided to pick it. Uh, this was, I had this on a double feature VHS from the late 80s, so it was, so I had Arena and Taste of Armageddon were on the same tip. Mm. So I watched Arena maybe 40 times when I was a kid. <laughs> and I watched uh, Taste of Armageddon twice. It's a, <laughs> it's a real bummer of an of a episode that I really depressed it. But Arena, I hadn't watched this in about 10 years. And I watched it again today. And this highlights the problem with podcasts. I watched it and analysed it. Don't do that with things you love. When I was a kid... My memory of the Gorn is that it's a fully realistic lizard man. (laughs) (laughs) And even watching it 10 years ago, I was like, I brought clearly my childhood bias. And today I was like, I don't think that's a real lizard man. (laughs) (laughs) No longer convinced. I still loved it, but I have a lot of questions that I didn't have when I was nine, funnily enough. I think I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But we're going to try and keep the magic alive uh, as we as we discuss it today. I, I, I say, is there a more action-packed teaser? Well, uh, like opening ten minutes of a Star Trek oh, original yeah. series episode. I don't think there is. It is yeah, pretty st- action-packed, and we're going to get into it because this was broadcast on January nineteenth, nineteen sixty-seven, originally in the US. So let's keep that in mind <laughs> that we're talking about mm. a almost. 60-year-old TV show now, which is pretty, pretty crazy. I did but, I did see that it was the first, you might be about to say this, but it was the first episode broadcast in the UK in colour in 1969. So well, we've yeah. often said about the time we had to wait between US and UK air dates back in the day, and blind my God. Well, I was actually about to say, I was about to say it was broadcast in the UK. I didn't actually know it was the first ever episode broadcast in colour, but what an episode to broadcast in colour, my God. It was broadcast in the UK on November 15th, 1969. So that is an almost three-year wait to get <laughs> Arena. And there ain't no downloading at that time. You just time have to hope you have no that. family in the States who you can talk to about this stuff. Because they'll be yeah, like, yeah, you yeah, see Star Trek last night? Like, no. What's that? <laughs> that time, like, you know, literally try to shield yourself for three years. Or if you just Star went on the holiday to the States and saw it when it aired and then came back home and trying to explain yeah. this, people would be like, where have you been? <laughs> I mean, luckily this was season one, so people wouldn't have been too into it at this point but yeah this was broadcast November 15th 1969 5.15pm on BBC One it was a Saturday so this is kind of like prime time like kind of what would become the Doctor Who slot in the uh, heady days of the mid noughties and uh, what I would actually just out of interest because I was like oh that's really interesting that it was broadcast then in 1969 BBC One I was really interested in terms of what was on the other side of the uh, TV, like back in the, back in those days, obviously only a couple of channels. Uh, I was wanting to see what ITV's competition was. Do you go diving for... into the archives of the yeah, radio yeah, Times? Yeah, yeah, Star Trek <laughs> Arena. So, and I thought I might start doing this in future because it's quite fun. <laughs> so, over on ITV at the same time, this was their rifle. ITV had Sexton Blank. Right. So. <laughs> I've heard of that, but I couldn't tell you what it was. So it was a pulpy detective show, not yeah. a porno. And this episode was Sex and Blake versus the Gangsters. Classic just stuff. Just the, the Gangsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, just yeah. the Gangsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unnamed Gangsters. 
If you were in a November 15th night, 16, what would you have chosen? Star Trek or Sex and Blake? Star yeah. Trek, because that's... Because you'd have the little description. Man fights genuine, real, really realistic lizard man. Or yeah. Sex and Blake versus the gangsters. And they're like, you know what? I don't think he is going to finish all of them off. So... I bet it's just some gangsters, but that was too long a title. If they're lizard gangsters, we might let's talk. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too vague. I mean, I, I would say that when you're saying things like finish gangsters off, I, I feel like you're drifting into Sexton, carry on, yeah, carry yeah. on territory again. Like, yeah. If at 5.15 in, in, in 1969, either you can watch Star Trek or you can watch a man called Sexton Blake manually make gangsters ejaculate at 5.15 in the evening on a Saturday. Do you know what? I probably would watch that just to see how they got an egg. I bet they blow something out. No, they're showing the whole thing. I would be curious from that point of view. Just from a broadcast standards point of view of entirely. Well, this is the thing. You can't take the other side. It's 1969. You have to make a choice. That's I would it. probably watch Sex and Blake for five minutes and okay. if he hasn't made a gangster come, I would switch back. And, and that's fine because you'd be in time for the fight with the Gorn if you just watched exactly. five minutes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. be fine. Yeah, but okay. you'd have missed William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy getting permanent hearing damage from all the explosions going off. Uh, no one would have been around to tell me that. It's, I would never have known what yeah. I've missed. I would be in, in, I would be in you know, blissful uh, ignorance. It would genuinely be what, like yeah. decades later to ever find out what happened in those first five minutes. Yeah. And people are so, like, oh, have you ever watched this? Well, I was just watching a guy trying to wank off gangsters. What? <laughs> <laughs> if, if you were alive in 1969 and had, were in on this Saturday night, what did you pick? Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> so the screenplay of this episode is written by Gene L. Coon who wrote 13 episodes of Star Trek, including Space Seed, A Taste of Armageddon, from your yeah. VHS tape, down, The Devil in the Dark, A Piece of the Action, and Spock's Brain. Uh, Arena was his first ever Star Trek script that he wrote, and he also wrote, Matt, The Questor Tapes, which was our favourite oh, yes. of the Gene Roddenberry abandoned pilots of the 1970s. I do remember this name coming up, them. Gene and yeah. Gene. Yeah, yeah. And it, the episode was actually based on a short story by a sci-fi writer called Frederick Brown. That's a well, weird it one. wasn't, but like oh. it was some other writer on the staff realised the similarities. It's so much so that they had to buy the rights to that oh, novel to ensure they weren't being used. Accidentally yeah. plagiarised. Because I was yeah. about to say that's the. Uh, I was like, oh, that's very. When I saw that, I was like, that's very rare for Star Trek. Is that a, that's not usually a thing, is it? They base it. So it was a case of it was just too. Yeah, too it was close. close enough that they just had to, you know, cover yeah. themselves. I mean, how similar was it really? Because it's like you can't copyright the idea. Two lads in a fight. It's, I think it's even called Arena. Oh, like, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> about a spaceship yeah. captain fighting a lizard man. <laughs> but yeah, like it's just shot. Like it's, I think it's like a seven-day shoot schedule, shot in six. Like it doesn't look like it would take. Yeah, it looks like it took longer because. But the guy got a bonus for like getting this one done in time. Yeah, it's uh, a lot or, of action in this. Yeah, you know, yeah, a lot of action, a lot of stunt work. Yeah, mm-hmm. lots of location filming. Yeah, so it's pretty impressive. I, I, I think when I watched these through the first time couple of years ago like this stuck out it's just like straight away like the scope of it like it felt 
this is quite a big set, outdoor set they've got here, and then to go on location as well. It did set itself apart from some of the ones where you just go to like the stage planet, and then they'd be like, you know, go around the corner, and they've got another view of the same polystyrene rocks. Yeah, the painted uh, sky on the wall. We certainly get our, uh, you know, f- full of polystyrene rocks this this episode. <laughs> but uh, well, you so, were saying that the director Paul got bonus for bringing this in early in six days. That director, of course, was Joseph Pevney. Uh, again, this was his first episode as director, but he went on to helm 14 episodes of Star Trek, including The City on the Edge of Forever, A Mock Time, Cat's Paw, and The Trouble on the Tribbles. Obviously, we covered The City on the Edge of Forever with Boyd Hellman, which was. 100 there, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And also interesting, his feature directorial debut was a film called Shakedown in 1950 which is on the spotlight of the movies list and we will eventually cover it because obviously Paul you and me are massive fans of the Pure Cinema podcast and Just the Discs host Brian Sauer and every year he does a rundown of his favourite film discoveries of the year and last year Shakedown directed by Joseph Pevney was in that list. So we would Amazing. definitely be checking that out. That's What's the Star Trek connection other than Pevney? Because it usually be somebody. Uh, it is. It is Pevney because it's just, it's just because no, he directed, Kelly. No, because he directed fourteen whole episodes of the original series. He gets. He gets in. He gets. So, he gets yeah, the knowledge. Yeah. yeah. So, I was looking through film four and caught a, a, a DeForest Kelly western the other day. Oh, like, amazing! It wasn't, it wasn't Warlock, no. Oh. Do you know what it was? No, I can't remember. Like some that's, that was gun- that's all he did for years in the fifties, yeah. early sixties. He was he was always just t- actually doctors. He tended to play doctors and stuff. And like that. Yeah, he's also like you know permanently forty five. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's an always tr- old, as uh, Matt would say. <laughs> yeah, what was that film we um, covered with him in for Sun W? Fear way back in when? the night. Fear in the Night, yeah, that was. Yeah, was that even earlier? Was that like late forties or something? It's nineteen forty-seven. Yeah, his his feature debut as an actor. Yeah, he, he looks maybe forty. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, he looks, <laughs> he looks fucking ancient. It's nineteen forty-seven. He was twenty-seven in that film. He looks about sixty. Uh, we covered it in our first ever episode of Sundog Deep, Matt, when we first yeah. ever guest starred on there. So yeah, he, of course he is in Gunfight at the OK Corral, which is a very famous western. So again, another one we will probably be covering on Spotlight the movies at some point. But I'm going to give a quick log line. Uh, for this episode before we get into it properly. So, for bringing hostility into their solar system, a superior alien race brings Captain Kirk into mortal combat against the Gorn captain of the ship he was pursuing. So that kind of sets it up. But as you said, Paul, the opening teaser of this like shows them landing to uh, go to the Cestus Free Outpost only to find it's been attacked. But like you were saying, that's a pretty amazing outdoor set. But I wanted to ask you, as you watch this on a special Blu-ray without any CG assistance, whereas I assumed we all watched it on Netflix, Mm -hmm. where there is CGI tampering to kind of, you know, make it look slightly more modern. Was that actually a good set or was it all extended by CGI? It was a matte painting, which has been cleaned up, but it was, there was, there was apparently houses instead of hills which they actually had to put, like, tinfoil across, so it looks like a weird tinfoil sky. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch it on that in the end because uh, I, I always had to go 
different doors, but I did look up the differences later on. Oh, okay. Just to be sure, yeah. Yeah, there was um, other things they added to the remarkable, like making the Gorn blink. Because I was like, Yeah, that can fuck off. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> that was... I can live with a lot of stuff. Right? If I know they changed the model shots of the Enterprise. Fine. Don't make him blink. He can't blink. It's a rubber head. Stop doing this. <laughs> right? It's, uh, yeah. It's really disconcerting when they made the Ewoks blink in, in the Return of the Jedi now as well. Yeah. I'm just like, no, I like the dead eyes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, we understand that we are looking like... at a suit and it's like we can we can have a certain level of suspending your disbelief and going, yeah, I'll buy the, the reality this is presenting me with. But back in my head, I know it's a suit. If you make yeah. the suit do something odd, then I'm pulled out of this somehow. Like, it's not just about the rubberiness, but blinking is too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the joy of any show from this period or any, any period in the past is to watch how TV shows Mm-hmm. looked and were made back then so it, yeah. no one is watching that and going I think that's a real gun <laughs> I don't know where they found one but it must be alive <laughs> it's blinking I got it. Right? yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, that yeah the teaser is fantastic we've got like McCoy and Kirk like really excited to have dinner with a well renowned host of like a Commodore who has all the privilege to rank his own personal chef so you know when it's all shit hits the fan I'd be I'd be the whole thing is for me, very tense because I was like, they are actually expecting dinner and all of this stuff is getting off. And they're probably quite hungry at the point it all starts. Like, when are we going to get some food? It's like the movie Dunkirk where it starts and this guy's trying to have a shit. Like, you never see him actually have a shit. So it's like, wait a second, how many days has it been? Like, <laughs> the moment he just got home, he just exploded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's prolonging. <laughs> so um, you would have preferred if they had CGI'd in like a buffet. Buffet, yeah. I Instead of this yeah. blinking eye, he's just like, I'd be nice. Just if somebody, I didn't need to see it. Just need to see William Shatner running across, doing that combat role. Then you see he's got a baguette. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Or a Colonel's meal, like or something like that. Like uh, with, with Dr. McCoy has got himself a Colonel's bucket up on the bridge. It's like uh, unfortunately Shatner's already down there, but I need to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Lou says this opening is very action-packed, Paul, and I uh, I agree. I it literally I was really impressed by how kind of action-packed this opening was, and it kind of um, there's quite a lot of bits in this episode that signify to me the differences between Kirk and Picard as captains, and also just the original series crew and the original series itself and TNG. Because, you know, this opening that's kind of like basically like all out war, Captain Kurtz getting out a fucking grenade launcher and shit like that. It is just, it feels very much in with the kind of, um, the kind of soldier naval elements of it, which kind of they don't tap into as much mm. in later kind of years because this is kind of embracing that more kind of like this is there's a lot of kind of violence in this episode well, it's, it's a really good character moment as well like we got uh, Spock almost impressed almost like close to laughing when the Gorn have like you know made his own little tricorder overheat and it's turned itself into a bomb yeah and he has to love it like you know he's just like this is like a tricorder like the way he just sort of exclaims it it's like a really good <laughs> moment for him because it's I mean it's far enough 18 episodes in for him to kind of got it down mm. you know this is not to work the pilot here where he's like giggling at like flowers that tremble <laughs> uh, it's just like you know he's got what who Spock is you know and what the kind of parameters are so for him to kind of just push it that little bit further I like those moments you know and we've got like Captain Kirk going full Ahab mode which he does with 
the Romulans, I think, has other points as well, and that kind of friction between him and uh, Spock there is good. But also feels like not out of character as well. It feels mm. the way that they've kind of like set it up and that he's like had his ship almost torn from him a little bit, like somebody else is having to kind of pilot it. He feels powerless when he's not in command of his own ship. All that stuff's like winding up Kirk, isn't it? And to see him then kind of then have this singular kind of like, I need to go after them, make them pay, otherwise they're just going to do this again. It's uh, it's a brilliant bit of acting. Yeah, yeah, because Spock's trying to hold him back, isn't he, in a lot of ways. And it's kind of cool to see Kirk let his kind of anger get the better of him and kind of go after them, which of course he essentially gets punished for by what he ends up experiencing mm. at the uh, hands of the Metrons, who kind of take control at a certain point, because obviously he's pursuing the Gorn through space and ends up wandering into their kind of territory. And they kind of take over. And I kind of like the idea that there's this more powerful species than either Starfleet or the Gorn, who just kind of take control and say, yeah, yeah, will you want to fight? Fuck you then, we'll put you I down like, I, on this planet lot, and you got to do these it. These godlikes. Like, it reminds me of Q and a few other yes. characters they did over the years. I love the fact they didn't fuck around with the VFX on that one. It was this weird sort of... I don't even know. It's like they just shone a light into the lens and just said, <laughs> it's aliens, all right? Shut yeah. And then when Kurt disappears, it's just boop. <laughs> yeah, just boop. But I'm really glad. As far as I know, they've left the alien... What are they called? I want to say the metronomes, but that's not right. The metrons. Metrons. They've left yeah. them, so they come up on the screen. You just hear the voice, and it's sort of a weird, almost like the end of 2001 kind of... Kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscope, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are the voice of the metrons. <laughs> We control the one screen that you have on this ship. And we, but we edit footage for this planet in real time for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a live sporting event. Yeah. 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 Well, because... Did you have like Gorn and, and Kirk power meters like, uh, just, just like on the top of the screen? There's a, there's a Metron somewhere going, okay, cut to three, Jeff. Okay, and let's have a slow zoom in now. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> it's funny, what I really do love about the beginning of this episode as well is, like we've said, how it is really action-packed. It really highlights the, the pacing difference between, like, original series episodes and, like, next-gen and all the 90s ones. And it's like, people often think, I think, of the old 60s ones being slow and kitsch and all this. And, and it is in a lot of ways. But this, these are episodes that are technically longer than the 90s ones that are coming in, like, 50 sort of minutes. But they don't fuck about. And ones like this where it's like, no. you know, within within what? 90 seconds, you've kind of got something going down. And by the teaser, you've got a sort of premise. And it's like, it's this mix of lightning fast pacing for a lengthier episode. And then the way scenes play out is a lot different. It's got that 60s aesthetic compared to the more modern stuff. But it never feels like it really drags. I mean, some episodes kind of do the worst ones. But ones like this where it's firing all cylinders really kind of flip by. And this one was very excited to revisit as well because when we were kind of at that at the height of doing the original series stuff way back when it you know it was to this day still some of the favorite star trek stuff that i've i've done and i still really really love this series so it's great to revisit it and you know it is a classic for like a reason of everything that's quite iconic about it as well and so seeing you know immediately you get like a red shirt death as well you know a very kind of famous part of it he just gets vaporized immediately and it's like oh shit yeah there's real real danger here and then yeah the idea of like this pursuit across space and it's very much an episode of two halves of everything sort of setting up this prolonged final act that sort of starts halfway through of uh, just Kurt be gone, so it, it ends up being having quite a lot of layers to it, but then ends up quite streamlined and all the better for it. Yeah, I think it, it infamous choreography of the, of the fight, which has been parodied many times since. But I think 
it does sell because of the, the, the drawn out nature of the bit it does sell the kind of like exhaustion that Kirk's being to feel and sort of the mental kind of load of like yeah when the Gorns like say I'll kill you quick like RV you know merciful it's like do you know what I might actually just take that option <laughs> yeah. you know, I will say just, now it's, running around, it's quite hot out here like, I'll say now you may, have, rock for you. Like, you may have noticed on the Wikileam I don't know if anyone watched this but there is a spoof of this episode for an official advert for the 2013 Star Trek video game which is a strange thing to see Shatner promoting because it's all Kelvin first stuff which he isn't involved with but it's him like in his lounge playing this game and he dies in it and then the camera pan he goes like oh you always let, let me die he's playing co-op with the Gorn in the classic suit and then they get into a fight over the controller and they do <laughs> the classic moves and then they're just very much out of breath just like oh we're too old for this <laughs> it's worth checking out well, it's also they didn't actually have to change the moves like uh, it's probably yeah. is awesome. <laughs> Shatner had the same probably flexibility in 1966 <laughs> as he has now right? and, that's, yeah. and that is a compliment to him now I think <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it, he's as limber somewhere in between uh, he, it's a compliment and a massive insult I quite enjoyed the fight and there's a bit there's a bit where I was genuinely tense. The only bit of choreography I got annoyed by is when uh, Shatner runs through that bunch of ropes that the Gorners made and then the rocks fall on him and he gets crushed against the wall. And then you, you see the Gorns slowly coming in the background and I'm genuinely like, fuck, how's he? I've seen this 40 times and I'm still going, how's he going to get out of this? And the Gorn gets closer and he's still trapped under the rock and then it cuts to black because it was a commercial break. And then it's like, oh, what are we going to do here? And then he comes back and he just... It's like they've forgotten the rock was on him. And he's just like, he just pushes it out of the way, gets up and fucks off. Right? Which is classic. The important thing is not that how do we resolve it. The important thing is that we sell everyone cigarettes and beer so that they come back in three minutes to watch more. But that's because Kirk's a real man, Dan. Unlike Picard, is that what it is? who got stuck under a pile of rocks in generations and couldn't get out, no matter how yeah. much he wriggled pathetically. <laughs> Uh, I, I did anybody no. watch the Mythbusters episode? No. This? So in this episode, which is the favourite episode of Star Trek of one of the presenters, is I want to try and make Kirk's canon yeah. uh, with what he had available. Ah, right. So, okay. they, you know, basically he's got a bamboo like, yeah, they were, suit. For a second there, I thought you could be like, we dropped a rock on William Shatner. <laughs> and honestly, he was fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so yeah, you know, they had um, you know it was uh, potassium nitrate, was it? Uh, but it was. It was a bit of... You should know because Spock can identify potassium nitrate from space on camera. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we got uh, got that yellow stuff, sulfur, sulfur, <laughs> yeah, and one uh, charcoal, thing. charcoal, and then of course, well, rock hard diamonds, rock hard diamonds, to, to, as your ammunition. And so they, they put all together, and I think it just like blew the uh, tube apart. Like, or just, or no, just it, first off, they, when they did it exactly as it was in the show, it just made a big puff of smoke and did nothing. I think it just fell over. Uh, so and then, but they didn't use real diamonds; they just used like something in, in place of diamonds. Then you know they had this, this cardboard gorn set up, and I kind of like Captain Kirk mannequin. Then they tried to refine down the, uh, the 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 sort of the black stuff, the coal, like to the finest powder, so it should ignite quicker. Then it just fizzed and made a bigger puff of smoke and then they did like one other thing where they actually kind of like got proper gunpowder like pre-mixed with all this stuff in it and it blew the uh the tube apart and william shatner and the gorn so <laughs> it didn't work in the end kirk would have better luck just giving the weapon to the gorn to try and shoot <laughs> back at him and it would have blown himself up <laughs> i mean he does 
kind of, you know, <laughs> do this very vigorously, the mixing of the minerals, which makes for a great giftful moment of uh, William Shatner really, really giving it some welly in terms yeah. of uh, mixing up those minerals. <laughs> into I, the I love the bit where he picks up massive fuck-off diamonds and they goes, you know, fortune and jewels. But what I wouldn't trade for a phase or a good club. <laughs> I would definitely it's my go favorite line. Phaser, if it's an option. Dot dot dot. No, just a, a good phaser. solid <laughs> club. Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> this is one of those. That would not help you in this situation. We've proven that. Like this you is one of those classic moments where you go, yeah, but. James, the remember, money doesn't exist in your universe anymore. Yeah, like, yeah so I did what? spot that. It's it was interesting to watch this because it's a relatively early episode. How it's technically canon, but how <laughs> they don't even call them shields; they call them uh, screens. Screens. Yeah. Screens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's that moment early on. He goes, and he goes, okay, keep the screens up. And then he turns to Spock and goes, if he drops the screens, they'll be open to phaser attack. And like, I feel Spock should go. Well, fucking dirt, I work here. <laughs> what are you telling me for? <laughs> I mean, you've used the wrong word. It shields your belly. Yeah, I found that really weird. Yeah, there's... I was actually getting confused. I was kind of like, what? So if they just have the screens up in terms of, like, the video screen, like, people can attack them. That's the fucking... But they call them <laughs> screens in, um, in motion picture as well. Oh, do you like, uh, Well, as Sulu does, but in, in, not in the director's she says, like, the new screens help when they get vaporised or attacked by the Vija. Um, so mm. they, I think this is interchangeable, but, like, yeah, it, there's, I think it's the first thing that mentions Federation being a thing. Huh. So 18 episodes in, we first hear about the Federation. Really? So, what, yeah. what are they, freelancers for 17 episodes? <laughs> yeah, it's not someone who's supposed to pilot. I hadn't noticed until today, when I was watching it, that the Gorn is, it's, he's dressed like... The, the, the captain of a ladies darts team that I knew in Swansea in the late 90s <laughs> it's a shiny leopard skin and she thing she was every this bit formidable right. as the I like, yeah. and I ironically she did not have eyelids that was weird <laughs> <laughs> and if you threw a rocker it just bounced off it bounced off her she was, what Jill oh she was hard Jill <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what I found interesting about this episode is it's essentially a more violent variation of Darmok from The Next Generation, or essentially Darmok is a more peaceful variation on this. It really feels like that episode is a potential like, response to this episode, almost, mm. like because they seem to be directly in conversation with each other. Or as solving stories. stuff through words and communication instead of rocks and fists. Yeah, whereas Kirk, like, fights to the fucking death. Because there's even... What's funny is there's the moment where suddenly they can understand each other and they can hear, and the Gorm goes from, like, Rah! to, yeah. like, you're actually saying, like, I'm weary of this battle, Kirk. I wish know? it was James Mason doing the voice. So <laughs> do, really but, but, but do you know who it is? I found out who it was. It's Ted yeah. Cassidy. He's right. from the Adams family, but now we're, I mean, I want James Mason. They're right, if you can do the eyelids, you first of all dig up James Mason, right? Clone him because he's dead. But get him, I'm coming up to you now, Kirk, I'm finish you off, not like that. <laughs> but it kind of, the story essentially demonstrates the differences between Kirk and Picard's characters because even after, because when, because I have seen this episode before, but obviously you can't forget how it resolves. And when suddenly they can hear each other, 
I was like, oh, okay. At this point, do they kind of like end up making peace with each other and sort it out this way? It's like, no. Like, they they, they can hear each other. Kirk's still like, fuck you. Gorn, I'm going to fucking beat you. Well, no, Gorn's like, you know, the Gorn's are dicks, really. I mean, yes, yeah, that's true. Not, yeah, yeah. They he, might have been in, they might have been asked. They're in not their dicks space, enough. But, I, my yeah. problem, I forgot about the end twist that is like, it turns out they were just protecting their own territory. Fuck that. I wouldn't do that because you've just shot him, right? So he's going to be, first of all, he's got to, you know, where there's blame, there's a claim on you now, Jack Matt, right? <laughs> you shot him, he's probably dead. His widow, Mrs. Gorn, is going to be, God knows what she dresses like, again, probably like a darts team member. Anyway, because right? it's weird that we found out, and usually they would make peace, but for some reason he kills him, and then they got, it turns out he was just presenting his land. He's like, Well, I wish, what are you telling me that 15 minutes earlier before I shot him in the head? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he's definitely, he's, we've already confirmed by Mythbusters that he's definitely dead. Like, there's, there's no way he could have possibly could have survived. Mm. But yeah, this kind of like sketches out as if the Gorn was slightly misunderstood. Whereas we kind of know from Star Trek's Changing Worlds that they are not misunderstood. They are scum. Uh, that's oh. it. So, yeah. I don't want any more spoilers, but I'm, yeah. I'm thrilled by this. <laughs> but, and I do like the appearance of the omnipotent kind of Metron at the end. I think a, a twink in a dress from Boohoo. I, that was interesting, wasn't it? He goes, I am a Metron. And he goes, you look, you look more like a boy. You don't. You look like Tilda Swinton. And there's nothing wrong with that. But weird. It's just like, yeah, I mean, at that point, I was surprised he didn't go, I have a god and shoot lightning out of his hands or something just to fuck Kirk up. Just teach well, him we get that later on in one of my favourite picks, the, uh, um, the one of Apollo. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah you get all that later on, which is good. They say, oh, we could have done this with that. Yeah. A lot of Very good beings, like we say, a lot of a lot of various god beings in the original series as well. But I agree, this is a very Q-like kind of creature that you mentioned earlier, Dan, because it, it kind of even feels like a Q-like scenario, like, oh, we'll put yeah. you in this situation. The trial then, never ends. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It really, really felt like that. Um, and it was interesting. And he it, it, and he was kind of like, oh, yeah, well, you showed him mercy, so I guess you're not so savage after all, Earth Man. Oh, yeah. this, this, I prefer... Oh, I do like the savage curtain as well. I don't wait, wait a minute. It. I forgot that that's the twist at the end, where he goes, we showed him mercy. You shot him in the guts with diamonds, <laughs> but then you stopped at stabbing him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I mean, he is dead him. anyway, but you at least didn't put another did, bullet in his head to make sure. You didn't deliberately. <laughs> well, no, he's, cut his he's face off. Yeah, he's he's crippled for life. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's only like his eyes can blink now. He's CGI allowed. At best, we're going to end up getting the the Gorn version of Born on the Fourth of July story. <laughs> he now needs a chair and a ventilator. Oh Mrs. Gorn is going to have to like, feed him soup and wipe his ass. So it's like, all, like you I, know, I want because just in case anyone's screaming, the fact I've had, I'm, it's lit. I've had a long day and I didn't say Gorn on the 4th of July and I want everyone to know that I'm embarrassed that I missed the part, all right? <laughs> that is brilliant. Uh, I mean, that's a T-shirt in the baking. 
if we could get that one past the CBS bosses, would But yeah, uh, no, I, I I think it is it's a really fun episode, isn't it? Because it's so it's like you say, mate, it's jam packed in terms of because there's lots. Of, it's very much separate sections to the episode because the actual arena part, as we kind of know very very well, is really only kind of like twenty odd minutes of the episode, mm. and there's a lot of build up at the beginning and then there's the resolution at the end and like you say it doesn't it is pacey i'd say by its nature it's one that doesn't give the rest of the crew a lot to do but it's kind of fair enough because they are deliberately isolated from you know they don't have their own subplot of having to fix something that needs kirk and kirk isn't around on the ship they are literally just having popcorn and watching the fight i love that yeah the subplot (laughs) they cut out is the whole crew has gone for a kfc and they're just like that (laughs) just watching the whole thing (laughs) Well, yeah, because yeah, I mean, they can't even right, offer just... help, can they? They're just kind of like, oh yeah, he should do this. Oh, Soon is well no. served. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I think he. Uh, it's showed that, you know, he's essentially de facto in command. I mean, it should have been Scotty, to be honest, if it follows but like they're in this one he's mm. piloting the ship and they like Sue is a good officer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean, something I, I noticed on this because it's I, I did watch an HD last time I watched it but HD one of the problems with this is you can really tell how much makeup everyone's wearing now in HD and I, I understand why it was necessary for the resolution in you know, in the 60s now we I'm not against it it just feels like before they come on shift everyone gets a glow up and it just seems like an odd choice <laughs> yeah Sulu especially uh, is particularly fabulous <laughs> um, but yeah no, it's a very very fun episode I really really enjoyed revisiting it to be honest the fight sequence yes it does look antiquated now and I'm always interested with stuff like this with, with that fight in particular I'm always like did people think this looked good at the time? Like, or is this a case? Because there's got to be kind of, you know, effects for the time. That even at the time, people were like, well, that looks like shit. No, like, I think anybody's seen Torn Curtain the year before, it's got an amazing fight with Paul Newman. Quite a brutal for its time fight. Yeah. Only good bit of that movie. Well, everyone says that fight's really good. And I think uh, maybe it's because I was so monumentally bored by the film in general that it didn't pick me up. I'm just trying to think of other fights. Actually, no, what we're talking about, James Bond would have been. Everybody's seen that. You've seen him versus Robert Shaw fights. There was a bar that there's no way. But Robert Shaw wasn't dressed as a lizard man, Paul. He well, I mean, he, he, uh, sh- he should have been. But he should have been. Yeah. He, he probably, after been... a couple of drinks, Robert Shaw moves like a gorn, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, so, fucking yeah, knees I, are seizing up. I agree. In terms of fight choreography, yes, there were already superior fights on screen what to is, this. What else is talking know. about... This was shot in six days, right? It's just a different world on a feature. You know, they, they did the best they could with, you know, only one actor that can move his elbows completely in this particular fight. And I'm not going to tell you which one. See, the Shatner or the other man in the thick of the suit. But you, you don't have time to do it quite as well as you want to. It's so many setups. It takes so long to set up a fight. It's TV, so you forgive a lot. And, and I think it just adds to its icon, yeah, how yeah. iconic the show ends up being. And I think it was even referenced in the Prodigy uh, in the last season. There was like a, a, a planet where they went that Captain Kirk and co visited centuries before. Mm. And they're still kind of acting out like you know, yes, the characters, yes, yes, and they've got like yeah. a training camp where everybody's learning to fight, like Kurt versus the Gorn. <laughs> That's really uh, funny. Yeah, and uh, so it's just a little kind of visual joke that's still being made today, sixty years later. Yeah, that um, was very fun. Yeah, like could the actor who's playing the Gorn 
Could they even see or not? I wonder if they could even was, like see what they were fucking doing. There three different actors played the gun. Oh, really? Plus the voice actors. Ted Cashy just did the voice, but he's not in the suit. Just um, Kirk took them out one by one. Like, literally, they had to get three on another one. Try and imagine, right? Even if it's six days, being a man in that suit in the high desert, right? <laughs> being asked to swing You're a punch. Get tired. It's like, no. Yeah. I'm going to go very no. slowly with this. <laughs> My shoes are full of wet. I've been sweating in the desert for two days. Um, it would be so fucking horrific. I yeah. cannot even imagine. Every time I do like, see uh, those kind of two fisted single punch things, I do wonder how much of a product of the time it is. Because Bond does it, right? Connery does it and stuff, I'm sure. And it's like, is this is just that what how was... people fought in the 60s? Maybe that's just. That's just how, yeah, how people. <laughs> we don't in the know 60s. if it's, it's phased out now. Maybe... Yeah, if you went right. to a pub on a I, Saturday yeah. night in the 60s. Yeah, I would see outside Weatherspoons no, yeah, 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 yeah. on West Street now, like, yeah. somebody fight. This weekend, right, two of us will punch a stranger in the face single fisted, and two of us will do the double fist punch, and we'll see. Well, this is just see who stays down. I'm sure whoever we hit will understand. But yeah, whoever stays down, that punch wins. Perfect, perfect. And uh, yeah, when the one survivor the next morning is kind of having PTSD and is kind of you know going fucking crazy, we'll just go easy, man, easy. Like Kirk does to the one survivor of Cestus Free Outpost. He does ask him if there's a vending machine nearby, which I thought was, you know. <laughs> I, I came here for dinner, you prick. What? Tell me later what happened. I, w- I need a marathon bar. So, should we move on to final thoughts on Arena? Dan, give us your yeah. final thoughts. I still love it. I think there's too much that I kind of had left. <laughs> I like. Why is the Federation base made of stone? <laughs> I, which I never really noticed till today. I mean, I know it was expensive to build alien spaceship models, but the fact that you don't really see any bad guys. Because even that, even though it's action-packed, that first ten minutes, they're just looking off camera going, ah, there's probably tons of them. This, <laughs> you don't see a single one. Like, I can see, see them there. They're just, they're just off over there. Don't look, just don't look. Look at him there. Look at that green prick there. Right? And like, <laughs> But you don't see him. And then even when they're chasing the spaceship, even though they're in a phaser fight, just like, yeah, we got him. Just turn the camera around. Let's see what Sulu can see. He goes, yeah, we're definitely in a fight. Are you? Are you trying to get workman's comp, Sulu? Like, what's going on here, right? And I don't know if this was even in the original ones. I don't remember seeing a model. But in the HD version, they look at the screen. And in the furthest you could possibly be, there's a dot that is just supposed to be the Gorn ship that just looks like a tip-x mark on the screen. Um, so... I, that, that takes away a little bit of the sense of peril, but obviously it was cheap, but it was done in six days. Da, 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 da. It's fine. Over, uh, also, a lot less of the, the show is the fight, is, is the actual Shatner versus Gorn bit. I was like, by 20 minutes in, I was going, how come he's still whinging? He should be on a planet having a fisticuffs or whatever. But I still love it. It is iconic. I love the locations they use. That's a part of the world I would love to see one day. And I think I would prefer it if they had just had no twist at the end and they go oh yeah the Gorn attack because they're bell ends and that was a twist <laughs> it was, that, but I, I still love it it's a 9 out of 10 for me. it was filmed at the Vasquez Rocks in yeah. Southern California and uh, it's funny you mentioned about how at the beginning when they're being attacked off screen you don't see like you don't see the Gorn hiding behind a rock there or something firing them <laughs> like yeah you don't, see, you don't see that and I was like were they trying to or you don't cut back to the Gorn ship or anything like that and I'm like, were they actually trying to hide 
the Gorm for as long as possible because mm. they knew that the suit was even then they knew the suit wasn't quite up to snuff. Or... I think they thought the suit was great. It was the big reveal of like how scary. Because I I think when I've listened to other people who you know, saw this contemporaneously at the time, you know they were terrified as kids. Like this was unlike things that were on TV. It was a creepy character. The sound effects, the hissing, all of those things really kind of. Mm. Was something you weren't going to get anywhere else. You know, that cachet has, has diminished very quickly over the years, but like, uh, I think it was saving it. You know, it's building that anticipation of like this enemy. We don't know who they are, don't know what they're about. I don't mind that you don't see them running around, but they could have probably thrown a few effects in or sound effects just to kind of give a sense there's some clicking or something going on that ceases when they blow them up. I think you're right. You that know. might be my modern view of brain going, well, now you'd cut back to that. But back then it was like, first of all, we can't afford you know, 10 of these suits anyway. <laughs> and also, there was that sense of suspense, because it was still, a, you know, we only just came out of the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone doesn't show anything. The Outer Limits doesn't, really. They they knew how to build... I think you're right. It is. It was a method... It was a cost-saving method that also happened to build tension. Yeah, well, yes. they did yeah. get a big reveal, don't they? Because the actual... The, the famous shot yeah. when we first see the court, it is, like, a massive reveal. It turns it's, yeah, around. Yeah, it's it's, like, it's, oh. they, yeah they, they, like, move, their camera moves. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah like, it's, zooms it's, in <laughs> on the gorn. Like, it's a huge, like, moment... So I, I yeah, think uh, they thought, like, wow, this John is... John Wayne is stagecoach. This is great. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, because obviously 1967, Doctor Who was on at the same time, working on a far more limited budget, and that was doing monsters that were making people hide behind the sofa back in 1967. And to be fair, when I started watching Doctor Who, when I was, like, seven in 1992, and they showed a repeat of the John <coughs> Pertwee oh. serial, uh, The Sea Devils... They scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, and that was a kid watching 1992. I think if you're a kid mm. watching, it's a different different kettle. The of imagination fish, goes you know? a long way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I I would have loved to. Have, I wish podcasts had been around when I was seven, because I would not be saying any of this if I. Which, first of all, I think you should have seven year olds on the show. I just, <laughs> but anyway, I, I was. I didn't. I remember not even noticing that they weren't that you didn't see the gorn of the ship, because your brain sort of fills it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but like I said, the sound effects as well. There's there's moments where the sound effects of the Gorn when he finally is doing the battle, where you keep creeping up. And like even now, I was like, fuck, that's a genuinely creepy noise to have bearing down mm. on you. Yeah, 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 hundred percent, man. Yeah, no, this is a really classic episode for a reason. I think it's great to revisit. Um, I think it's probably uh, in a randomback sort of way one of the first Star Trek episodes I would have seen bits of, thanks to the Vasquez rocks and this episode appearing in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's always, and you know, I, I do love how they have become quite famous in their own right. Like everyone sees those pointy straight rocks now and it's in loads of stuff as well. And they're like, oh yeah, but it all started here. Yeah, it's great. I love how it is a story of sort of two halves in a way, but overall telling this one very clear story. It's a real showcase for, for Shatner and just a very concept. You know, it's like the whole thing of swimming about in the ocean. There's always a bigger fish type thing. It's like that, you know, they're chasing down these these villainous Gorn creatures and then there just happens to be another bigger thing in space that is able to just pluck them out and make them their playthings for a bit. So it kind of really taps into the whole just how vast and scary space is on a kind of existential level of like you shouldn't be fucking around out here guys like you know if one lizard man is not enough you've got a godlike bee making you fight the lizard man so after this i'm surprised i don't all go home but um i think if you want to get people on board with star trek or show it to people who don't know it it's an easy one as well because there's there's little law surrounding everything else there's no politics there's no interfederational stuff it is just a primal case of man versus lizard and we can all use some more of that 
I mean, I must admit, I don't think I'd show this episode to someone who I was wanting them <laughs> to give Star Trek a chance to. Be like, look, everything you've heard about the original <laughs> series, like, you're wrong. Like, you know, so the, the bad production values, the, the kind of stuff that hasn't aged. No, 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 no. You, you get a load of this episode. <laughs> And you'll see how ahead of its time it was. I'm not sure this would be the one to convince no. them. Even but though... An easy watching one, though. To be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a fun yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, an easy watch. Like, even though I, I, I do enjoy this episode, I, I think it is actually like a very well-written episode. It's pacey. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. The plot is actually really propulsive and good. And I think it's a great episode for Kirk. Uh, kind of defines him as a, a captain in some ways because he's kind of you know the he's kind of like man's man Star Trek captain, but he has actually got the brains as well. You know he's able to be very sufficient, kind of coming up with this idea to kind of take down the Gorm when he realizes he can't physically best it. And so I actually think for Shatner, it's a really really good episode. Yeah, I don't think it's one of the best. It's like if you look kind of like through you see that this is this is often ranked as kind of one of the best episodes of the original series because i think because of its iconic nature more than anything because it is it is iconic you know in, in kind of multiple ways uh i think i think it is iconic in terms of just visually it is very very memorable but i think also iconic because I think when people, some people think of Star Trek who don't know as well, this is the thing they're thinking of in almost a kind of parody sense. But I think there's a, a lot better episodes of the original series than this, even though I do think it is a good, a perfectly good hour of television. It would be interesting to see a, a story like this attempted in kind of the more modern Star Trek frame, because I kind of feel there's something, there's something primal about this story and Kirk as a captain, which I just don't think they've attempted again since, which I'd kind of like to see them go back to. I don't know, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, especially if they keep developing the Gorn in Strange New Worlds. If they, if they can do an episode like this, kind of with Pike, their modern version of it, that'd be really, really cool, I think. Well, I think they've been really doing something different with the Gorn. I think, you know, this has been remade even within the original series, like where you have similar kind of setup. Well, it, they just increase the numbers. We've got three good people from history versus like three you know, notorious villains from history and they have to kind of like duke it out with what's, what's available to them in the Savage Curse. <clears throat> and you said Diamond kind of does a version of this. Then you've got multiple versions of omnipotent kind of godlike beings kind of toying with our crew. You know, when I was watching through season one, you know, it was just every other one was either giving me classic feels or just really impressive, more complex storytelling that I was, you know, sci-fi stories were done so well in the original series. So yeah, it doesn't kind of rank high on that that front for me where it's you know there's not really kind of a parable going on with like what's happening in the 60s or what's happening you know on earth it is a bit more kind of like back to basics for that but it still has so much to recommend it because it's just the propulsive nature of the show cool i, I think it thinks it thinks it has a message can't we all just get along like imagine mm. if the russians and the americans had all watched this Cold War yeah, wouldn't have happened. Admirable trait Rocky, of mercy. Rocky versus the mm. Gorn. That's what we need. <laughs> yeah, yeah that was... that's true. I mean, that is true. That is what we know. I mean, Sly wants to make another Rocky film. So I think, think this could be the way to go, to be honest. <laughs> so, Dan, where can we find you online? What have you got coming up? If there's anything you can tell us. Uh, I would say the uh, uh, Lily Bigfoot Watch That. That's still on iPlayer. Everything else is maybe... 10 months away before it comes out but it's what we're working on at the minute 
Right. Well, you can find us at Spotlight Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we're back around to the fucking joke of Twitter might not be around by the time this episode goes out, which seems to happen <laughs> every couple of months. Uh, where suddenly we all think it's about to kind of shoot off into the fucking sun or something like that. So I don't know. We're still on there at the moment. Um, so I, I don't know. See what happens. You, you never know. Might might be still around. I, we haven't joined any of the alternative uh, social medias yet. Threads, Hive, all this kind of bullshit. Um, you know, we'll wait out. We'll go down into the sea with like the fucking Titanic with Twitter. And if we have to join another social media, I suppose we might do maybe. Yeah. Which one sounds the what? sexiest? Spankwire. <laughs> but it turns out the answer to that is TikTok because it doesn't matter what I click like on, it keeps going. You know, have you watched 17 recipe videos in a row? Would you like to see some tits? No, no. I'd like to see a chicken bit. <laughs> Dad, which I mean, are you on TikTok? I don't. I've, I, do you know what? Somebody. Yes. So I made about five videos a year ago and I haven't done anything to do it. And then somebody was saying to me, there's some really good stuff in there. You've just. Because for a long time it was literally just wobbling women, right? I was like, you know what? I don't want this on my phone when I'm on a bus. So I would not have been on a bus in a while. I'm doing quite well. But I, um, I, but I started using it because somebody said it's just like flicking through a TV channel, like in the old days. You just find somebody you want, and it's fine. And I get some really interesting stuff, like you know, put somebody pushing jars downstairs. Brilliant content, right? <laughs> and, but a lot of the time, it is just porn. I've discovered, and no matter what settings I play with, it keeps going. You definitely want to see a 19-year-old in a bikini right now. I mean, are you sure you're not playing with yourself rather than playing the settings? That might be the problem. It wouldn't, no. <laughs> it knows. It's listening. I, it, no, I did see We'll be listening to your rate of breathing, Tyler. The, the algorithm knows. Like, uh, your heart is slightly racing. Yeah, just watch a really good lasagna being made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know our phones are watching listening to everything uh, these days, so... Uh, yeah, good, no, no. Uh, Good passive egg might get me getting get me going. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean we're not on TikTok yet, and I don't think any of us are either. So that's unlikely to uh, happen. But some very good cat videos on there, and I'd like to apologise to any of our listeners who are regular bus commuters. Thanks to Dan Slam. Yeah, don't sit behind me. <laughs> no, he's the punk with a big tape player. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Plus, he's looking at porn on TikTok. So yeah, but he yeah. likes to on I'm not. I, I'm not it's not deliberate I have a secret porn LinkedIn account but uh, that doesn't get as much action as it should <laughs> okay well that's it for now let's get the hell out of here live long and prosper people live long and prosper uh, lovely to see you guys I'll see you soon bye oh boy Liam if you're listening to the end of this this is so long <laughs> <laughs>